Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Dana Osman, here with my friend of Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Sotah, daf Mem Gimel, page 43. Well, long Mishnah here that continues with the discussion about what happens uh, when B'nai Israel had to go to war. Um, and it starts with the following. The Pasuk says, V'dibru ha-shotrim ela'am le'mor. So after the Kohen, uh, the Kohen HaMeshuach would, would uh, speak to them, then the officers would speak to them. So these are a very famous set of Sukim. They're from Devarim, chapter 20, verse 5 um, through 7. So there's three sets of Sukim, which talk about which men, right, were not eligible to go to war. So it's a man who built a new house and hasn't lived in it. He's allowed to go back. Um, and also the category of somebody who just plants a new vineyard and somebody who recently got married. And so what's going to happen now is the mission is going to go through each three of these categories, each three of the psukim, and elaborate on a little bit about who actually falls under this category of exemption. So this also applies to somebody who built a barn for straw. Beta bakar, or cattle barn. Beta aitzim, a woodshed. Beta otzarot, or storehouse, right? Something that would hold wine, oil, grain, things like that. Right, somebody who builds a house, somebody who buys a house, someone who inherits a home, or somebody who was given a house as a gift. But the idea is they haven't lived in the house yet or for a full year. The next pasuk goes on, right, a man who planted a vineyard and has not redeemed it. Um, so also he would not, he would go home. So this applies to somebody who plants a vineyard. Somebody who plants five fruit, fruit trees, even if they're five different species. It also is somebody who plants trees, someone who layers them, one who grafts them, someone who buys them, someone inherits them, one who was given them as a gift. And so I think part of what's interesting here, if you look at the Gemara about this, it's going to get into a lot of agricultural law of sort of like what's considered planting and what's considered a vineyard, um, which is, you know, sort of an interesting way of where it's actually taken here. And then they finally go into the last one, right? Someone who did uh, a, a rusin, a race uh, with, with a woman, right? And hasn't fully married her yet. They haven't even gone to Nisuin yet. Um, so this applies to somebody who takes a virgin in a rusin, or widow, even somebody who's just in that time period with their Shomer Yavam, they haven't fully been with their Yavam yet, or if he just heard that his brother died in war, he comes back to his home. And then it goes on to say, what are the limitations here? All of these, they hear the words of the Kohen, right, of the war regiment, and then they return from war. And they supply water and food. So what's interesting here is the idea is, is they may know they fall into that category, but they have to sort of go out with the people, hear it being declared, and then they leave. But it's not that they're not obligated to do anything at all. They bring water and food, and they repair the roads for the army. They're right? they, they still have to do other things. But now they're going to... Um, uh, so now they're going to list people who, even if they build houses and plant vineyards or have taken women into Jerusalem, right, they don't return. 
Somebody who builds a gatehouse, a portico, or a gallery. So again, the Gemara is going to talk about the distinction is it really has to be a building that one could live in, right? Somebody who plants four fruit-bearing trees or five non-fruit-bearing trees. So this has to do with whether that's considered an orchard or not. Someone who takes back his divorcee. Okay, and now they're going to talk about people who performed a rusin with women who are forbidden to them. Let's say a widow married a Kohen Gadol. Or a divorcee or a chalutza who marries a regular Kohen. Remember uh, a Nitina. Nitina, remember, was a category of people who sort of fake can had some kind of conversion that wasn't a real conversion to Yisrael. Ba Yisrael l'mamzer l'natin. A daughter of Yisrael was married to a mamzer or natin. Lo hayachozer. In those cases also, the husband would return because those really weren't marriages that should have taken place. And now they're going to go through a opinion of two Tanayim um, who have some more exemptions here. Rabbi Hudomer, afa bona bayit al mechono lo hayachozer. Somebody who built a house in its original place wouldn't return. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, somebody who built a house of bricks in the Sharon, he would not return. Um, and the reason for that is, is that um, this is like the coastal area of, of Israel between Yapo and Mar Carmel. And it's known that these houses uh, would not last. They would have to be rebuilt uh, every three and a half years. Um, and so therefore, you know, it's not considered like a permanent house. Um, okay, so before what we've talked about now, right, that those people who would return, they would have to do these extra things of like bringing food and repairing the um, repairing the roads. But now there's a category of people who are even exempt from that. There are those who don't move from their places. One who built a house and inaugurated it, but it hasn't lived in it for a year. Natan Karen Vachilo, someone who planted a vineyard and redeemed it, but hasn't enjoyed its first fruits yet. Hanaseid Arusoto, someone who took his Arusa in Nisuin, but hasn't lived with her for a full year. Hakonesa Yivama somebody who married his Yivama, but has not lived with her for a full year. They don't need to do anything. And then the mission is finally going to end with the source for this exemption. Shanatmar, Nakiya Leveto, Shanachat. He shall be free for his house for one year, right? And it goes on to say that he and be with his wife, Lebetoza Beto, for his house. This is on his house. Yehiyeh Karmo. Yehiyeh is for his vineyard. Visameach Atishto, though he's and he shall gladden his wife. This is his wife. Asher Lakach Yivamato. And Asher Lakach refers to his Yivama. And then finally, the Mishnah ends. Ein Maspikim Lehemai Mazon. They do not supply water or food. And they do not repair the roads. They don't have to do any type of service. So again, we're very, very off top topic with Sota. Remember how we got here because we were talking about things that had to be said in Hebrew. And we talked about the declarations that had to be made So while before war. And so while we're on that topic, we're just going to sort of keep talking about war. But it's very off topic of actual Sota. It is. And yet, I'm, I don't know. I feel like perhaps, you know, this is current events getting to me. I feel like the Gemara is exactly talking to our current situation as um, in Israel. We're kind of on the precipice of what we hope will not be a war. Um, depending on when you listen to this, obviously, you'll know more um, than we do now at the time that we're recording. Um, I want to go on. Um, first on Ahmed Aleph and then on Ahmed Bet, we have 
you know, development of some of these cases, you know, the Mishnah here had really quite a lot of cases. Right? We have the this case of a person who has built a new house, right? And the case is, you know, like, who doesn't go and, like, dedicate your house, right, when you set it up? That's the whole point. You would have some kind of whatever, some kind of um, housewarming. So the Gemara says that when it says in the verse, in the Torah, in Devarim, that has built Asher Bana, and the Ella Asher Bana. And we only have literally the case of the person who has built a house. But what about somebody who bought a house, who inherited a house, who was given one as a present, right? How do you then put that kind of, you know, um, new acquisition of a home into this equation where literally the text of the Torah says built? So the Gemara says, all right, look at the verse a little bit, you know, take a step back and say, you know, what man is there that who has built, right? Meaning instead of just saying one who has built, but what person is there who has built, like comes to include all of these other cases. Now, how you could say that it comes to include all of these other cases where they're not specified, I think that this is what we very often call Gemara logic, right? It's the process of inference from a biblical text in a way that gets the Gemara to the conclusion that it wants, because you have extra words in that verse, and those extra words are kind of understood to be there to be explicated. And so, therefore, we can use them to, to get us out of this problem of, you know, having to literally build your house with your with the bare hands to be the person who is then, you know, um, in this exceptional case when it comes out, you know, on the eve of battle. Um, okay, the Gemara goes on. So there's some of this is already in the Mishnah, right? When we have the word bayit in the in the verse in the Torah, how do we know all those other structures, right? The storehouse for the for the straw or the cattle or the shed for the wood or a warehouse or whatever, all of those things you're doing that you've just listed off. So the the Gemara comes back to this phrase from the verse in the Torah, Asher that has built Asher Bana. Meaning, once you talk about that as built, then it means anything that was built. It doesn't have to literally just be a physical house home for the people to live in. So that maybe we should understand that that should come to include even the person who builds a gate or um, a cassandra. How did you translate that? The the patio or right a merpeset. Or the merpeset is the merpeset. So, right, we've got these different kinds of cases that um, you might think should be included in the phrase that has built. Talmud Lomar. So then, then we come to back to the word buying it, but it says house. So it doesn't have to mean literally only a house that you live in, but it needs to be some kind of structure that isn't um, ancillary to the main structure, like the way uh, a balcony would be. Ma ledira. So we're talking about something that would be fit for living, and that would mean, you know, a structure that is fit for living, whether or not it's actually used for living. It could be used for something else, but it actually would function as the kind of place you could live in. Yaakov says, once you say house, it means you're talking about living there. Then and you know other structures, he's going to have to come at them from a different from a different angle. So what happens is he says as follows: You're talking about a person who has not yet dedicated the house, but it says 
it says, it says who has not dedicated it as opposed to just as a more abstract statement of has not dedicated. So what does that mean? It means that somehow we're talking about the person who is in fact connected to this home, presumably as owner or builder or such a thing, right? As compared to, let's say, a robber. And it says, the Gemara says explicitly, we're going to exclude a, a robber who does not own his home. So the guy says, well, maybe this is what we're going to say. Isn't, isn't this in, in accord? Or are we, how are we going to line this up with the opinion of Rabbi Yossi Aglili? Now, we have not discussed Rabbi Yossi Aglili at this point, but the question is, what does he say? So he, he's the one who, who approached the verse in Devarim chapter 20, Verachalevav, where it says the fearful and the faint-hearted, meaning these people standing on the brink of war. And he says, you know, he's talking about, he understands that verse to be talking about somebody who is afraid because, and this goes on to the top of Amabet, because of the sins that are in his hands, meaning that he's sinned. And so therefore he's afraid that he's going to go out to war and he's going to be culpable, not culpable, but, you know, held accountable for the things that he did wrong in the, in the worst way possible out in war. So according to that interpretation, then it might suggest that the person who is, who has stolen, let's say he's stolen even property, then maybe he should go home to make sure that he can, you know, not be killed in war. Why? Because of his guilt. And the point here is of this Gemara is that, you know, like this whole position of Rabbi Yosef Klili really counters Rabbi Lezer Ben Yaakov, who is talking about a building, a home that means, you know, that it's fit for residents and that's really, that it's supposed to be for residents, not just any old building that you could use in other ways. Um, okay. I want to, and then the Gemara. Again, addresses this machlokit a little bit further, but I want to note that the next section of the Gemara, really now toward at the top of Amabet, again raises the case that's in the Mishnah, Mia Isha Shernatakarim, who plants a vineyard and doesn't use the fruit from the vineyard. Now, we know that it takes quite a while for a vineyard to bear fruit. So I found that question to begin with to be like a, an interesting puzzle, right? Like you planted it, now you have to kind of sit and wait for three, four years, whatever, before you can actually use the fruit. And there's concerns about avoiding. You know, Arla, the fruit that has grown on the on the tree prior, or in this case, the the vineyard prior to the fulfillment of the time period, which is really the fourth year from the time of planting, from when it bears fruit to be able to have that fruit. So the Gemara here does the same kind of thing that it's done that we just went through carefully to take the verse from Sefer Dvarim for the Book of Deuteronomy and explicate it to apply to the Halachot. You know, what makes sense in terms of when do you say that you actually own that vineyard? What if you, did you purchase it? Did you inherit it? Were you given it as a gift, right? And what does it mean that you have a per, a man who has planted? It goes through, I want to say like the same structure. It's not identical because it's a different kind of thing, the house versus the vineyard, but it's fundamentally the same kind of approach of, of derivation of the halakha to understand exactly how this is going to apply to those who you know, are getting this message, this speechifying from the from the Kohen HaMashuach. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, this. I think people are very familiar uh, with this in the Torah, but I'm not sure how familiar they are with the Gemara. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's always been like a halakha I liked. <laughs> I think, I, I think that what it does is that it recognizes you know, the real life 
the the peace loving time right that is what everybody's supposed to be paying attention to you're you're building a home or taking possession of a home you're planting a vineyard or inheriting a vineyard whatever you're doing to get these things and now go about your life oh you have to pause and deal with the fact that the you know everybody's gathered to hear this speech on the brink of war but some of you maybe have to go home to tend to those things that are the basic like the fundamentals building the fundamental building blocks of of normal life and i think that especially when people are on the brink of war it's very hard to keep that in mind and I think right? Like in modern Israel, I think people feel this tension all the time. Like on the one hand, continuing normal life because yeah, and on the other hand, people are tense, you know, and nervous, and all the things that the Kohen tells them to be, you know, to be okay about because God is on their side. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrant website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff in our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.